Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host, as always, Ricardo Lopes, and today I'm joined by Dr. Matab Jafari. She is Professor of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, Professor of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the School of Biological Sciences, and Director of the UCI Center for Health Span Sciences at the University of California, Irvine. And today we're going to talk about her book, The Truth About Dietary Supplements, an Evidence-Based Guide to a Safe Medicine Cabinet. So Dr. Jafari, welcome to the show. It's a huge pleasure to everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ricardo. So first of all, and before we get really into the topic of the book, tell us a little bit about your background and your research career and what really got you into writing a book about dietary supplements. Um, so I have a pretty diverse background when it comes to research. I started in um, clinical research um, right after I graduated and finished my residency. And I was mainly dealing uh, with um, focusing on pharmaceuticals and drugs and also um, lifestyle modifications to prevent cardiovascular diseases. Um, then I joined Abbott Laboratories as a research scientist, and I eventually led a team of um, research scientists. And the focus at Abbott was, again, clinical studies, but in uh, neuroscience and also metabolic um, diseases. Then in 2005, I was recruited back to UCI. So I started at you know, UCSF and UCI, joined industry, and then I came back. To UCI in 2005 to develop this a new major in pharmaceutical sciences. And I decided to completely shift my research from clinical research to basic science research. And I developed a fly lab. So I mainly work with Drosophila, although we I have also worked with mice. Um, but the goal of the research right now is to improve uh, human health span and, uh, and of course also increase the lifespan but not uh, increasing lifespan at the expense of health span. And I work mainly, I started uh, an algorithm. I started, you know, the goal was to identify botanical extracts and compounds that would improve health span and increase lifespan. And um, people ask me, how did you end up just focusing on botanical extracts? And my answer has always been that um, this is where the fruit flies in the lab, you know, <laughs> led me to, because we um, we had really good data um, with botanical extracts. So I mainly focus right now on testing and identifying and evaluating the mechanism of action of botanical extracts that increase uh, lifespan and health span. And along the same line, we recently started a, a platform uh, for natural drug discovery. And we are trying to use uh, Drosophila as a model system to create a multi-omics uh, platform and using machine learning to identify natural products um, for you know, various human diseases. So in a nutshell, this is my kind of the basic science and clinical research, but I'm also very interested in educational research. And I teach a large course to our undergrad students at UCI and also to all students on UC campuses. So the course is offered to any students in the University of California system who likes to take the course. 
And um, in this course, the title of the course is Life 101, Mental and Physical Self-Care. And I'm really, my hope is to teach our students to improve um, their mental and physical health. So, and now you, you mentioned the book. So mm -hmm. the book, it was really like a natural continuation of, of my research because for the past uh, 27 years um, as an academic and a researcher, I always get questions about the safety and efficacy of dietary supplements. Um, so finally, six years ago, or maybe seven now, I decided to write a book for the community with, a, with, with just the goal of educating the public about this industry and dietary supplements. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. where I am now. Yeah, a really fascinating and diverse background then. So uh, getting into the book. So the first question, I guess, would be, and perhaps it is an important one for the general public, um, what is a supplement? And how can people distinguish or know how to distinguish a supplement from other kinds of medication? Um, so as, as you know, if you are taking a medication, you need to have a prescription from a healthcare provider, mainly physicians, um, who would pre prescribe that medication or drug for you to take to um, address a specific disease or a symptom. For dietary supplements, you don't need a prescription. So it is, uh, so you can just go to any store, any store that sells them and, and purchase them. And, the definition of dietary supplement is pretty broad. If just the name dietary supplement implies that these supplements supplement the diet, supplement the foods that um, we take. So um, that's like the simple definition that they supplement our diets. But as far as their variety goes, we, we have many kinds of dietary supplements on the market from vitamins that are uh, highly consumed by people to minerals, to, you know, proteins, to botanical extracts and herbs, and, um, and also probiotics and enzymes are also included in the dietary supplement definition and category. Do you know what supplements people are taking the most, at least in the US, which is where your work focuses, focuses the most? Um, that's a that's a very good question, and it's a, I always say that this is a million dollar question. But if you um, if you review the if you do a Google search and if you review the literature literature, you will find that mainly vitamins, including um, antioxidants, are highly consumed. And by vitamins, I'm talking about vitamin C, vitamin you know E, A and also vitamin D. Um, and when it comes to botanical extracts, it, it really varies. Um, there is an increase in the use of probiotics with some of the health claims that we have. So the incidence or the prevalence of the use of dietary supplements depends on the time of the year and also uh, the situation that we are in. For instance, um, during the pandemic, people consumed a lot of dietary supplements and they reached out to dietary supplements um, to you know, boost, for instance, their immune system. So it, it really varies from time to time and uh, also time of the year. Mm 
And who makes and sells these dietary supplements? Because I think this is a very important question for later on in the interview and for people to understand really how to think and what they should be careful about when it comes to them. So the dietary supplements are manufactured by dietary supplement manufacturers. So there are many, many companies uh, that manufacture them. And then they either distribute it themselves or they have like a, uh, an intermediate company or a, or a middleman to market and sell them. So it is the dietary supplement company that manufacture and sells them. Mm -hmm. And are there financial incentives that might be a bit perverse here that might have a negative impact on the production and commercialization of these dietary supplements? Um, so if, if you're referring to financial incentives for the company, um, of course, there are major financial in incentives. I mean, if that was not the case, we wouldn't have uh, so many dietary supplements. Just to, just to take you through the history lane, um, in 1994, we had about 4,000 dietary supplements on the market. And in 2021, it was estimated that we have up to 80,000 dietary supplements. Oh my God. In, in 1994, the, the market share or the sales of the dietary supplement was about 4 billion. And right now it's about $54 billion. So obviously there is a major financial incentive to manufacture and sell dietary supplements. Is there any regulation for the safety and quality of these supplements, at least again in the US? Um, so in the US, if you go on the FDA website, and I was going to actually um, find it and read it, but I have already looked at it so many times that I try to paraphrase what you will find on the FDA website. So on the FDA website, you will find a paragraph that uh, states that FDA regulates dietary supplements. So that, and that this is this is a statement that many manufacturers use to, to tell the public that the dietary supplements are being regulated by the FDA. But if you read the whole statement, FDA relies on the manufacturer of dietary supplements to make sure that they have the right quality, that they, they follow good manufacturing practices, and to make sure that they are safe. And why am I emphasizing on that? Because with pharmaceutical, for instance, they, pharmaceuticals cannot get on the market before they are approved by FDA. Dietary supplements can get on the market and be sold to people uh, without being approved by FDA. And when it comes to safety, the burden um, of reporting adverse drug reactions or safety issues, again, we are in the space of talking about regulations, is on the public, is on the is uh, is on you and I. So if we experience a side effect, let's say for dietary supplement, we are encouraged to report it to FDA. And FDA collects the data. And if they see a trend, for instance, with some um, with some serious side effects with a dietary supplement, they intervene and they start to evaluate the manufacturer. But beyond that, we don't have any other um, regulation when it comes to dietary supplements. And is there any pre-market or post-market testing of these supplements? 
No. So a dietary supplement is not required to go through any type of pre-market testing before they hit the market. Having said that, there are a number of you know, responsible manufacturers of dietary supplements who would do that independently. Um, they are not required to, but, but they do that to make sure that what they are putting on the market is um, safe. But, um, but there is no uh, regulation for that. Um, we are um, in the process of going through a, a, a bill that was, uh, it's a bipartisan bill, which is, uh, which is great in US um, that was presented by um, actually two senators and I don't want to butcher their names, so I have their name here, um, Senator Durbin and Senator Brown, um, you know, put forward this diet, it's called Dietary um, Supplement Listing Act 2022. And to me, this is an act that is moving us in the right direction, because if when this act passes, we are going to, um, dietary supplement manufacturers are required to register their products with the FDA. So they have to list the ingredients of their dietary supplements, the name of the dietary supplement, uh, with FDA, and then finally, we are going to have a list and a registry of all the dietary supplements that are on the market. So this is definitely a movement towards the right direction of some regulation when it comes to dietary supplements. Mm -hmm. When it comes to reporting uh, adverse side effects of the use of these supplements, so it falls on the people that are using them, mm -hmm. right? It falls on the people that are using them. So um, if, for instance, let's say I take a dietary supplement and I feel like I'm experiencing an adverse adverse reaction due to, mm -hmm. this, to, due to this supplement, I can go on the FDA website, fda.gov, and um, and this is this is for your uh, viewers that they, you can go on the fda.gov and search for adverse uh, reporting for dietary supplements. And you're taken to a link and we can report that. But having said that, FDA believes that we are under-reporting. So for instance, um, I believe it was in 2021 that FDA reported that 2,400 adverse reactions were reported to FDA because of dietary supplements. But then FDA said that at the same time, they said that this is an underestimate because um, probably there were 50,000 adverse reactions due to dietary supplements that were underreported. Um, so we cannot, because it's not mandatory. I mean, it's not, there is no um, regulation and no mandate to report adverse reactions. Do you have any idea why this is the case? I mean, why is it that these supplements are not put under the same regulations and uh, I mean, testing and all of that quality research that other regular medications are put through? Um, so this is, this is a very complex question because it um, requires, a, you know, it, it requires almost like a, a search into the politics and who funds what and who lobbies for what. But the quick answer to your question is that FDA is underfunded. 
So I, um, I happened to run a few years ago to run an internship for my students at the, at the FDA office in our town. And I would go to these meetings They were called breakfast with the FDA investigators. And I would listen to the stories and cases of FDA, of, uh, FDA officials where they were trying to um, you know, look into these adverse reactions and the reports by, by the community. And they're understaffed. Um, so that's one reason to, to create a more, a, you know, better safety when it comes to dietary supplements. And, and the other issues is, are the laws. So in 1994, this law was passed by the Congress, um, Dietary Health and Education um, Act, the uh, Dietary Safety Health Education, DSHEA. And Everybody thought that, oh, now we are going to regulate dietary supplements um, because they are not going to be considered as food stuff. But the question is, if that was the case, why after passing that act, we had such an overflow of dietary supplements in the market? As I mentioned earlier, from 4,000 in the market, on the market in 1994 to almost like 80,000 right now. So um, we have to ask ourselves this question. So I am hoping that with the passage of the Dietary Supplement Listing Act 2022, we are moving towards the right direction to um, regulate, to have more regulations when it comes to dietary supplements. Mm -hmm. Getting into another topic, uh, with what you know, do people generally need dietary supplements? Um, if you have a sound, you know, nutrition plan or diet, um, the chances of needing a dietary supplement is very slim. Having said that, if you are, if an individual is malnourished or they have deficiencies that are documented uh, by a blood test, then the answer is yes, we need to supplement with dietary supplements. But for the most part, if you follow a good diet, um, you don't need dietary supplements. And how can people know when they need them? Um, so what I recommend, and this is something that I recommended in the last chapter of the book um, that is really trying to um, educate people how to choose the right dietary supplements is the best place to start is with a, with a very simple but comprehensive blood test. Um, for instance, people are very confused about how much vitamin D they need to take. Um, you can do a blood test, and based on that blood test, if you're not deficient, the chances are you do not need to supplement with vitamin D. But that creates another um, set of questions because there have been many debates on what is considered deficient, what is considered low, and what is considered, for instance, normal when it comes to vitamin D. And this is an ongoing um, debate. But if you go to a lab and you check your vitamin D levels and the, based on the lab uh, results, they give you a range and you're in the range, the chances are you don't need to supplement with vitamin D. And I'm using vitamin D as an example. Mm -hmm. And why is it that diet is not, might not be always enough? I mean, why is it that in some cases, even if people have 
perhaps a generally balanced diet, they might also need some supplements? Um, well, if, if you all had a good diet, I mean, if you followed a good, sound, healthy diet, we wouldn't have such a high incidence of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, obesity, and mm -hmm. uh, other metabolic um, diseases. Um, so obviously, we need to do a better job with our diet. But um, the, the answer to the question is a very personal question that we should all ask ourselves, is it better to have a sound diet and to pay attention to what we put on our plate and what we eat um, or opt for a dietary supplement that for the most part, we may not even know how safe they are and what is in that pill or capsule or, you know, tablet. Mm -hmm. So and I would like to recommend that we go for the better uh, nutritious um, diet. And do you think that supplementing food would be enough to tackle at least the most common nutritional deficiencies? Yes, I, I absolutely do. And um, research has shown, for instance, that supplementing um, foodstuff with some of these dietary supplements have been very helpful. Um, for instance, we have um, you know uh, products, foodstuff that are enriched with uh, folate or they have um, some additional calcium or some vitamin D. Um, do they help with anything? I can answer that question because again, if you're not deficient, adding more vitamins to your food, to your milk, to your cereal is not really going to help. Uh, but if you are deficient, then yes. What about specifically some plant-based supplements and botanicals used in traditional societies? Do those also count as dietary supplements? Um, so when it comes to traditional medical practices, uh, and I have a book chapter actually in my book about this, this topic, when they are practiced in the right context, and the right context I'm talking about um, being practiced in the true sense of traditional medical practices, meaning that you are interacting with a healer who has her or his own garden, and he goes, he or she goes and collects the, the plants and you know creates the compound, I shouldn't say compound, the potion maybe, and um, they prescribe it to their patients. And in that context, um, they, these traditional medical practices have worked for thousands of years. So we cannot argue with the fact that traditional Chinese medicine, for instance, um, has, has, has worked. And now we have data. We have kind of what I call Western scientific data to prove that. But what happens is that in, in our world, in Western countries, we take a snapshot or we take a small component of that practice and try to put it in a bottle in a synthetic form and say that, okay, this is a natural supplement that is going to have the same effect that has been observed for thousands of years in these traditional medical practices. I personally don't think that that will work because it's a very reductionistic approach and practice um, to something that is very holistic and very much more integrative and um, comprehensive. Mm -hmm. 
Another question, uh, because of the regulation issues we talked about, can we be sure about the ingredients of a particular supplement? Um, so, <laughs> again, the answer to the question is uh, no, not really. Um, so we have to do our own homework. And um, and again, in my book, I talk about some of some of the things and some of the steps that we can take to to address these issues is to look up the the history of the dietary supplement manufacturer. Um, put the name of the company, for instance, in FDA.gov to see if they have been investigated by FDA, if there has been any reports against them. Um, so there are some steps that we can take. But just because a list of ingredients is listed on the dietary supplement um, product, that doesn't mean that the FDA had approved and checked those ingredients. So really the uh, burden of proof is on us, on the consumer. And in the case of these supplements, there's a higher risk of contamination than with regular pharmaceuticals, correct? Um, yes, and I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna touch pharmaceuticals in in our in our discussion because when it comes to pharmaceuticals, we are talking about brand names and generic, right? So now we have a number of reports on contamination and uh, adulteration issues with generic um, pharmaceuticals. So that's a completely separate issue that it is going to be another. Um, chat between you and I for another um, uh, for another interview. But when it comes to dietary supplements, yes, and I have talked about um, some examples um, about adulterations and also contamination. And by adulteration, I mean that, for instance, you are taking a dietary supplement for weight loss, and you notice that it's working. You know, you're losing weight and it's working. Well, the chances are that um, that dietary supplement may be adulterated, meaning that it could still have even sometimes illegal ingredients such as um, ephedrine, for instance, or fenfen um, in them. So adulteration is, is, is an issue, definitely. And when people take other medications, should they inform their doctors about these other supplements that they might be taking? because there could be interaction sometimes, correct? Absolutely. Um, informing the healthcare, your healthcare provider and your physician about the dietary supplements that you take is very, very important. Um, um, Samueli Foundation two years ago did a study um, asking people about their beliefs when it comes to dietary supplements, some of the questions that you're asking me about the regulation, the FDA involvement. And one of the questions that they asked was if, if the public shares this information with, this, uh, with their healthcare providers, and almost half of us don't. Um, and I think when you talk to people, because I've done that, I've talked to my friends and my patients in the past, and what I hear is that I don't want to share what I'm taking as far as dietary supplement goes, because I don't want my physician to think less of me that I am, you know, not trusting them or not believing in them. But my, uh, but I highly, highly recommend that when you have a doctor's appointment, 
take your dietary supplements with you. I tell all my friends and family and um, former patients to put everything in a bag and take them to your appointment to make sure that these dietary supplements are not interacting with a drug that you are taking, a medication that you are taking, and also that they don't interact with each other, like a dietary supplement and dietary supplement interaction, and also to assure their safety that you're not experiencing any side effects. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, this is a bit anecdotal, but I've heard people saying just that they think these are natural and so there won't be any issues with them. They won't do anything bad to their health. So, Yes, and you, you brought up a very good point that um, public percep perception at times is that these are natural products. So because they are natural, they must be safe. And that is not um, correct. And how can we know that a supplement is trustworthy? So again, um, I, I can emphasize more on what I, I just said, that um, the burden of proof is, is really on us, is on our uh, shoulders. So we have to do our homework. We have to go on the company website, uh, for instance, to see how, how much research they do. Because most reputable companies, all reputable companies, they list the, the research that they do on these supplements. They do have an R&D, for instance, department um, who does that. And they even publish um, high quality papers on, on dietary supplements that they are selling. Having said that, you have to be careful because if the science is funded just by that um, manufacturer, then th there is a conflict of interest, um, obviously. But um, but but we have we have to be careful. So again, going on the FDA.gov website, going on the Office of Dietary Supplements uh, NIH website uh, to make sure that the supplements that you are taking doesn't have any issues. So that these are the two good places to start. Mm -hmm. And talk to your healthcare provider, obviously. Uh, but I guess that another issue there is that even if sometimes you can go to the website and they provide some studies there, people also need to learn a little bit about how to distinguish good studies from bad studies, right? Because many times what they provide are really low quality studies. Right. Yes, and that is another that is another issue, and that's why um, the Office of Dietary Supplements um, at NIH has started to take this issue very seriously and publishing statement papers. For instance, I was a co-author in one of them um, to educate the scientific community about the importance of high-quality research when it comes to natural products. Um, and the high quality research, I'm not just referring to clinical studies, studies where we put the dietary supplement, test them in humans. I'm talking about the whole spectrum of research, meaning that when you start testing that um, compound in a petri dish in, in vitro to in vivo, meaning testing it in various uh, animal model systems, such as in my case, you know, Drosophila and mice to um, other mammals, and clinical studies in humans. So um, I'm again, I am hopeful and optimistic that we are moving towards that direction of um, having high quality studies. 
Um, and I would also like to encourage the public to take a more active role in this space and, and um, almost uh, become an activist and talk to their uh, representatives and make sure that high quality research on dietary supplements becomes almost mandatory for supplements that are put on the market. Mm -hmm. And here, and particularly since we're talking about medicine and pharmacy and pharmaceutical sciences, the gold standard would be randomized clinical trials, correct? Yes, the gold standards would be randomized clinical um, trials. Um, and Ricardo, I may, I just want to digress here and just tell your viewer that, yeah, my training is in pharmaceutical sciences, but I am not really pro-pharmaceuticals because I think that we should really try to have a good lifestyle as much as we can to avoid taking pharmaceuticals. But of course, there's always a place for them. If you have an infection, God forbid, let's say you know somebody has pneumonia, I'm not going to ask them to meditate and just go for a walk in the nature to, to treat that infection. Obviously, there is a place for um, pharmaceuticals, but we should really do our best to um, improve our lifestyle so that we stay away from pharmaceuticals and also, in this case, dietary supplements. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the marketing claims, and I'm focusing here on the marketing because that's usually what people are exposed to on TV, social media, the internet in general, that they are usually backed by science. I mean, the marketing claims behind these dietary and natural supplements. Well, my my very quick answer to your question is that do not we should not trust these marketing claims, um, and we should also educate ourselves about what what does science mean. So, if a marketing claim tells you that this is proven by science. What science? So we have to really look a little bit deeper to figure out what science they are talking about. Um, often you hear that this fruit or this dietary supplement is a very potent antioxidant. Based on science, it's proven that it's a very strong and efficacious antioxidant. How did they come up with that? Did they do an in vitro study in a petri dish, in a lab, in a beaker, in a glass beaker, and came up with an antioxidant uh, you know, factor for that dietary supplement? Or did they really put it in humans in a randomized clinical study and look at the impact? And as a matter of fact, if you look at the most re some recent studies, and these are studies with thousands and thousands of patients, we don't really see any benefit with antioxidants. And in some cases, they may be detrimental. So again, I want to go back to your question that you always ask, have to ask yourself, show me the science. What science? Yeah. And another thing related to the media in general, should we be careful about what uh, the media they teaches about what it means to be healthy? Um, that's another good question because the definition of healthy, it seems like it, it changes uh, sometimes. Uh, but, you know, 
health means the absence of disease sometimes. I mean, if you look at the global definition, means it could mean um, the absence of, absence of disease. But I would like to recommend to people that they go beyond health and they just focus on wellness. Because for instance, I could be dealing with a chronic disease, but I could, re I could feel well because I am working, for instance, on my mental health, I try to walk every day. I try to, you know, watch what I eat, limit sugar, limit anti, limit pro-inflammatory foods. So I could be in on the on a spectrum of wellness, but I may not be complete completely healthy. Um, and sometimes the media portray of health is very misleading. Um, I'm a professor in at UCI. And I interact with um, you know, students almost every day. I have had female students in my office telling me that they um, are on a diet to lose weight because they're very overweight. And I'm looking at the student uh, who is sitting on a chair in my office and I don't see overweight. But the portrayal of me media when it comes to how a woman body should look like is really far from health and wellness. So again, I would, I would pay attention to, you know, how media portrays health sometimes with a um, grain of salt. Mm -hmm. And another aspect of marketing that we haven't touched on yet uh, has to do with the people they associate with that marketing, like celebrities, famous mm -hmm. people in general. I mean, people should also be careful about that, right? Because it's not just because a supplement is endorsed by a famous person that it's reliable or the science behind it is reliable, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say in the majority of celebrity endorsements, when it comes to dietary supplements, there is a conflict of interest, meaning that that celebrity is being paid um, or is being sponsored by the manufacturer of that dietary supplement. Um, so just because a celebrity is promoting that dietary supplement, that doesn't make it safe or efficacious. So again, we have to be very careful. Yeah, but as with these cases of celebrities where, I mean, it makes sense psychologically to really follow what people who are successful say they do because Sometimes they don't really use the supplements, but what they say they do, because I mean, there would supposedly be a correlation between using that supplement and being successful as they are. There's also anecdotes on social media, and that's another issue, right? No, you're um, you're absolutely right, and I do also talk about um, the celebrity factor in my book. Um, every time a celebrity, a known celebrity endorses this, you know, product, or in this case, a dietary supplement, the sales skyrocket. Um, and um, obviously, psychologically, there is definitely something there. And we do have studies. We do have a number of um, marketing and also just psychological studies talking about the celebrity factor and how endorsing a product can send the people to um, stores to buy that product. So again, they have to be careful. And what about uh, specifically the anecdotes from users of the supplement that 
people sometimes find on TV, on social media, etc. Should people rely on that? Um, so again, the quick answer is no. And I'm smiling because I feel like I can write another book about these anecdotes because almost every week I get emails and um, sometimes text messages from friends and family members asking me about an anecdote. My neighbor was struggling with weight loss and she started taking this supplement, this weight loss product, and she lost five pounds. So what do you think? Should I go and buy it? To me, these are anecdotes. And uh, unfortunately, anecdotes are very powerful. Um, social media can kind of change these anecdotes into like a kind of a pseudo scientific um, statement. Uh, and next thing you know, again, the sales of that product are, uh, are increasing. So we have to be very careful with anecdotes because we are all different. We have different physiology, we have different genetic makeup and something that may work for my neighbor, uh, which actually I, I seriously doubt if a product can result in five pounds of weight loss, unless the product is adulterated with um, illegal substances. I, I, I would not trust anecdotes. So that's my, that's my quick answer. Another term that people use a lot nowadays is wellness, and there's an entire industry behind it now. Uh, should people be careful when they read that term somewhere, particularly in this case associated with the consumption of dietary supplements? Yes, absolutely. Because again, we are talking about uh, an industry that is not regulated the way they should be. And, um, and to me, the definition of wellness is, uh, is very simple. I mean, it is part of it is to be healthy. But as I mentioned earlier, you could have a chronic disease. I know um, a number of people, for instance, who are survivors of cancer. So they had cancers, uh, a type of cancer, and they survived it. And they are in remission, but obviously they are being monitored. And um, these individuals, when they have a very positive mindset and they take care of themselves, meaning that they exercise, they have a good diet, they work on their mental health, um, they try to manage their stress, they sleep well, they have wellness. I mean, to me, that is the definition of wellness. So again, sometimes the way media portrays wellness, uh, especially when it includes promotion, and endorsement of various dietary supplements, um, then you have to wonder um, about that uh, disclaimer about wellness. Mm -hmm. So I would like to ask you two questions that I think are very important for people to keep in mind when deciding when and how to consume some sort of dietary supplement. Um, so let's say that they try it and they feel better. Is that a sign that it works or not, just by itself? So define better for me, because this is a very general question and it really, you know, like for instance, if you're, be, if you're somebody who's constantly tired and you're experiencing, you know, chronic fatigue or anyways, you're very, very tired and you check your blood level and you're low in B12. And then I supplement you, you start taking vitamin uh, B12 supplements, 
and after a few weeks you start feeling better, then by all means, um, continue taking that B12. But make sure you continue monitoring your levels. So don't check your level once and then it's low and then start taking the supplement and then forget about monitoring. Um, so this is just the this is just a very, um, I guess, simple example to like answer your question. But um, better is a very general and um, generic term. So it really depends what you mean by feeling better. Yeah, perhaps to be more specific. So people, someone has a particular health issue and they think that, I mean, I don't know, they could have some kind of pain, something like that, and then the pain goes away and they think it's because of the supplement, but it might not be because of the supplement, correct? It just Absolutely. might be placebo effect or something like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> placebo effect is, is very, very powerful. Um, and it, it, no science uh, has proved the placebo effect. So I'm not just, this is not my personal opinion. Um, because studies have shown that when you believe in something, your belief system can have a tremendous impact on how on your perception and how you feel. So um, that is definitely there. Uh, I always use the example of my grandmother who had a very bad case of knee arthritis. And I gave her 200 um, units of vitamin E, just one, one vitamin E uh, capsule, 200 units. She took that and she immediately, in like five minutes, she felt better. And I, I just couldn't believe that. I thought she was joking, but she said, no, 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 this makes me feel better. So I started, so I gave her some vitamin E and she was taking, you know, the capsule every day, 200 units of vitamin E every day. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that, you know, this is placebo. Vitamin E does nothing for your arthritis. But the fact that she believed that her granddaughter, who was like this scientist and knew about this stuff, is giving her something that is helping her arthritis, was helping the pain. So who was I to tell her that, oh, grandma, please don't take vitamin E because scientifically vitamin E is not proven to help with arthritis. So um, placebo effect is, is major and the, and the belief system is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I guess that another misconception that is important to address here is that sometimes people think that just because they're taking a dietary supplement and it's just a vitamin, a vitamin, a mineral or something like that, then it doesn't really matter the daily uh, the daily quantity they take. So it doesn't, they don't even care about the daily recommended intake nor anything like that. They think it's just vitamin D, vitamin C, whatever. So I can take as much as I want of it. But that's not really true. Uh, they should be more careful about it, correct? They should be very careful about it, especially when we are talking about um, fat soluble vitamins, because when we take too much of a fat, you know, fat soluble vitamins, where do you think the extra is going to go? The extra is going to go in our, um, you know, fat tissue that we have all over our body. And it just stays there. Um, and it's going to take a very long time for us to um, get rid of that, um, 
vitamin that is fat soluble. So, uh, so we shouldn't take you know random amount and as much as we want because the more is better. This is really not the case. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the uh, I just want to correct something with the vitamin E story. So I was uh, I had just graduated. Um, from pharmacy school at UCSF, and my grandmother used to think that I, I'm like, like uh, I am her doctor, and because I, all of a sudden, I had a degree. Um, but if I had the knowledge that I have now, of course, I wouldn't give her 200 units of uh, vitamin E. So I just want to like, um, just clarify what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also wanted to address that issue because sometimes we read. Uh, anecdotes, posts on the internet, people really saying that or claiming that, for example, to treat cancer or to treat some other kind of disease, they should take uh, heavy quantities of a particular vitamin, mineral or whatever daily. And sometimes that leads to serious health issues. Oh, absolutely. And and, and all you need to do is to look for high quality studies that have been sponsored by, let's say, you know, NIH. And you can find these studies showing that actually too much of these um, antioxidants and vitamins are not good for you. Um, for instance, if somebody is getting chemotherapy for breast cancer, they should not be on any antioxidants or vitamins. And now we have studies showing that it's harmful to do that. So yes, I I agree 100%. Mm-hmm. So another thing that you tackle in the book has to do with pet supplements, because now there's also supplements for our pets, our cats, dogs, and others. Uh, should people also... Uh, be careful about this? I mean, should they care about also going into the websites and other places and get informed about what they're giving their pets? Yes. So (laughs) pretty much everything that we have talked about so far uh, also applies to pets. So we definitely have to be careful and we have to be careful um, not to be not let our emotions be manipulated because we want the best for our pet. And then we are exposing our cat and dog to something that may not even be safe. So the answer is yes. So in this case, they should get some information from their veterinarians, right? Yes, they should get information from their vet, but they also have to use their common sense because um, a friend of mine uh, called me once right after leaving her vet office after you know an appointment for her dog. And she said that I came home with a bag of supplements for my dog. I have now four supplements and they were quite expensive. Um, so that's another issue. I'm not saying that every single vet out there does that. But in the case of my friend, she came home with uh, four um, dietary supplements for her dog. So I told her that you have to be that informed and educated consumer and kind of do your own research to see what is in these supplements. Are they safe? Does my dog need them? Mm -hmm. 
So what kinds of questions should people ask their healthcare providers when it comes to supplements and if they should use them, if they need them, etc.? So I would say the first thing is to take your dietary supplements to your appointment um, with your physician or healthcare provider. And I know sometimes that's not easy because you have to probably take a bag, but put everything in that bag, everything that you take in the bag and take it to your um, physician and, um, and ask your physician, are these supplements safe? ask the physician to check for any supplement drug interactions, because for instance, if you're taking a drug, there may be interactions. And also ask them if there are any supplement supplement interactions. Um, so you want to really create a very um, um, educated and a very sensible environment for yourself when it comes to dietary supplements and make sure that all your healthcare providers, we may, for instance, see a primary care provider, a general practitioner, or like an annual checkup. But let's say we also have an endocrine issue and we may see an endocrinologist for that. So we should communicate the dietary supplements that we take with every single healthcare provider that we have. Mm -hmm. And how can people learn that they have a deficiency? For example, a very common way is blood is through blood tests, but is that enough or is that the only way or not? So so the so the first place to start is a is a comprehensive blood test. It's a comprehensive blood test where you ask your doctor to also order some of the common vitamin deficiencies. For instance, making sure that you check your vitamin D, your B12, iron, for instance, iron deficiency is, is very common. Uh, going back to the question of fatigue, if you're constantly tired all the time, well, in addition to vitamin B12, you also need to check your iron. So I would say a comprehensive uh, blood test would be a very good place to start. And what should people do when they learn they have a particular deficiency? Then, um, because that blood test was ordered by a physician, obviously their physician is going to make recommendations. So the physician or the or a healthcare provider may recommend to supplement um, to kind of uh, address that deficiency. And um, one recommendation that I have is when you check your blood test and you're deficient and you're asked to start supplementing, let's say your physician tells you that you need your vitamin D deficient, you need to take 1000 units of vitamin D every day. I would say that in three to six months, make sure you get another blood test to make sure that you know your levels are normal, you're not going above the limits, and that this supplementation is working for you. So monitoring and follow-up appointments are also very important. Uh, are there cases where just through diet, changing particular aspects of their diet, people uh, might balance that deficiency and they might uh, correct it? Yes, yes. So for the most part, we can. And um, a resource that I always share uh, with everyone is the Office of Dietary Supplements website, so the ODS at NIH website. And if you go on this website, 
there are fact sheets on every dietary supplement. For instance, there's a fact sheet on calcium, on magnesium, on iron. And in those fact sheets, you have tables of food stuff, fruits, vegetable, and food products that, that can help you to kind of address that deficiency. And it will give you like portions and how much of that uh, vitamins or mineral you can find in that um, in in that specific portion. For instance, it tells you that one ounce of this vegetable is going to give you this much calcium. So you can definitely um, use um, food and fruits and vegetables to um, to alleviate deficiencies. Mm -hmm. So at least some of these deficiencies, not all, of course, could be addressed with the help of a nutritionist and not necessarily by using supplements. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's a safer way to, to address them. Yeah. So one last question, and I think this is a hugely important one. How can people monitor the effects that the dietary supplements are having on their bodies to really know that they're not going through anything that is not normal and that might be an adverse side effect? Um, so it, it really depends on the, on the deficiency and on the supplement. For instance, if you are iron deficient and that deficiency is documented by a blood test, and you start taking um, iron supplements, then the way to monitor it is to repeat your labs, is to repeat your blood test to make sure that you, know, you are within the normal limits. But if the iron deficiency, for instance, cause you to be very tired and fatigued all, of, you know, all the time, you, you can see improvements yourself, meaning that after supplementing, maybe after two or three weeks, you start feeling better. So um, again, having really open and um, you know, honest conversations with the healthcare providers and physicians that we have is, is a very good place to start because you almost, um, by doing that, you're creating a partnership with your physician when it comes to also your nutritional needs and dietary supplement needs. So I I would, that, that's what I recommend that, you do it yourself, but then you also communicate with your um, physician to partner with you. Mm -hmm. But are there, for example, any specific signs or symptoms that people should be aware of, should try to monitor that perhaps might indicate that there, there would be something wrong with that supplement or the way they're using it? Or does it really depend on the supplement itself and there's not really a general let's say checklist that people can follow to monitor that kind so of there thing is no, there is not there is no general um list checklist to say that okay this is a checklist for all the dietary supplements out there the checking is very individualized and it's very individual specific um but really the key is moderation and to take the supplements that you need. Um, a friend of mine started experiencing a lot of um, nervousness, even a little bit of tremor, um, kind of insomnia and, and, and diarrhea, and she had no idea why she was experiencing um, these symptoms. 
I ask her to send me a list of all the dietary supplements she takes, she, she took and she sent them to me. I said, no, I need the doses. You need to tell me how much. And it took me two seconds to figure out, for instance, that vitamin C was the troublemaker because she was taking about six grams, 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. Um, and all the side effects that she was experiencing was because of the high dose of vitamin C. So as you can see, it's very individualized. Everybody has, everybody should develop their own checklist and, um, and, and monitor themselves and listen to their body. So in the case of my friend, she stopped taking it. And in a few days, those symptoms were gone. But sometimes, um, sometimes the damage can just be irreversible. In the case of my friend, she was very lucky because you know she, she was fine. So I would say it's case by case and every individual is, um, is different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I, I imagine that many times it's complicated for people because since they don't have enough information, they might have uh, symptoms or signs and they might not attribute them to their using that particular supplement. Right? Yeah, and that's why as you uh, brought up a few times in your questions, communicating with your physician and healthcare provider about the supplements that you take is very, very important, is crucial. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So the book is again, The Truth About Dietary Supplements, an evidence-based guide to a safe medicine cabinet. I will be leaving a link to it in the description box of the interview. Um, Dr. Jafari, just before we go, would you like to mention where people can find you and your work on the internet? Um, so I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm a professor at University of California in Irvine. So if you go on the uci.edu and type in my name, which is listed on, on my picture, Matab Jafari, you will find me. So you this, so you can find all my information. I mean, I have a lab, a research lab at UCI, and I also have a faculty profile. Um, and I am also the director of the UCI Center for Health and Sciences, and you can also find me on that website. Great. So I will be leaving some of the links to that also in the description box of the interview. And Dr. Jafari, it's been a huge pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. No, thank you, Ricardo, for inviting me. It, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for watching this episode until the end. To keep the channel sustainable, I would like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and consider making a pledge there, starting at $1 per month. You also have links to PayPal. Otherwise, and if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like, and hit the subscription button. The show is brought to you by Enlights, learning and development done differently. Check their website at enlights.com. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my main patrons and PayPal supporters, Karen Litzke and Blanchett Perga, Larson, Lau Guerrero, Francis Fordens, Frederick Sunda, Ricardo Vladimir, Craig Healy, Adam Castle, Olaf, Alex, Jonathan Wiesel, Jacob Klinkby, Matthew Whitting, Bernardo Wolf, Tim Hollis, Erika Lenya, John Connors, Paulina Barron, Philip Force Connolly, Jerry Mueller, Herbert Gintis, Bo Weingard, Rebecca Neuberger, Goldstein, Dan Demetri, Robert Windegar, Rui Nassi, Arthur Coe, Zup, Marco Neves, 
o Colin Holbrook, Susan Pinker, Bernardo Seixas, Pablo Santurbano, Simon Colombo, Jorge Pinha, Phil Cavanagh, Corey Clark, Mark Blythe, Roberto Inguenzo, Michael Stormir, Samuel Andreff, Tiago Nunes, Bernardo Uniga, Alexander Dunbauer, Fergal Cusson, Evan Bodrenko, Hal Herzog, Don Ross, Jonathan Leibrand, Oslan Bullut, Nathan Nguyen, Stanton T, Samuel Correa, Eric Hines, Mark Smith, J.W., João Weira, Tom Hamel, David Sloan Wilson, Yassila Dez Araújo, Eden Solon, Romain Roach, Dermiti Grigoriev, Diego Londonio Correa, Tom Roth, Yannick Punter, Adan Rosmani, Nicole Barbaro, Adam Hunt, Pavel Ostasevsky, Nelek Bach, Catherine and Patrick Tobin, Al Ortiz, Guy Madison, Gary G. Alman, João Linhares, Lida Cosmidi, Saima Fzal, Adrian Yegi, Nick Golden, Paulo Tolentino, João Barbosa, Jules Price, Edward Hall, Edin Bronner, Franca Bortolotti, Gabriel Pons Cortez, Ursula Litska, Dennis Cook, Scott, Zachary Fish, Tim Duffy, Todd Shackleford and Sunny Smith. My producers is our web, Jim Frank, Lucas Tafini, Ian Gilligan, Luis Caetano, Tom Vanag, Dam Curtis Dixon, John Linares, Benedict Mueller, Vega Guidi, Sardos France, Thomas Trumbull and Nuno Welder, and my executive producers, Michel Rugieski, Rosie, James Pratt, Matthew Lavender, Sergio Quadriano, and Bogdan Canivet. Thank you for all.